Well, folks, I, I, I come today with a message that uh, I, I've really, I, I was working on it throughout the week and uh, about halfway through the week, I just kind of had to stop and pray about, Lord, what are you doing through this message? Because the more I went over it, the more discouraged I got. That, that can't, that, man, this is awful, Lord. What, I don't want to preach this. And, and I was thinking about what I was saying and what I was trying to get to and, and, and to see happen in, in my life and in our lives and, uh, and, and it's just, it's difficult. And I, and I have to be honest, and if you've heard much of my preaching, you know I'm not a prophet of doom. And you know I'm not, you know, let's see if we can just see how bad we can all feel. But folks, in all honesty, uh, our, our, we're not doing well in our society. The home is not doing well. Relationships are not doing well. Um, I think there's a lot of times that people could make statements like that. Let me clarify what I mean. I think we're doing worse than America's ever done. I think we're failing at everything significant. And there's no sign of it getting any better. As a matter of fact, all signs would say it's getting worse. And I really believe that a key part is the home. And that comes to us, and that's a, a place where I feel like even in the church, you know, I had planned in my sermon, and I'm not going to do it now, uh, you know, a whole list of statistics to show you just how bad it is. But we tend to ignore the statistics, don't we? That's not me. That's not us. But it is more and more us. And the thing that blows you away about all the statistics is whatever the statistics are out there in the world, when you take the same surveys in the church, we're not really hardly any better. It's not hardly any better at all. So we're not showing the world God in a very significant area, the home. Now we'll run around and demand that an unbeliever wish me Merry Christmas. And I'll demand that unbelievers see how important it is that we have in God we trust in our money or in some pledge of allegiance. And folks, I'm not saying those things aren't important I'm just saying maybe the reason those things have no meaning to the world is because they see no meaning of God in our lives. We're demanding that they acknowledge God, but they can't see what difference it's made that we've acknowledged God. What what difference is God making in our homes? I will give you one statistic, a, a growing statistic. If we were to, I'm not talking about the big bad world, I'm talking about right here in the church. If we go upstairs to our children's department, and we grab 10 second graders. Just randomly pick out 10 second graders. And we bring them in here and we line them up. I can then, with those 10 second graders, I can pull out seven of them. And those seven, by the time they reach one year out of high school, will never be in church again. I didn't say they won't be in church during their college years or, or during their young single years. A lot of us did that. But we're back, right? No, I'm saying when we pull these seven out of ten, when we lose them by the time they reach one year out of high school, they will never return to church the rest of their lives. Some statistics would say eight. And folks, this is happening, when not, not certainly in every church, but churches like ours, where there are more pastors, more programming, more opportunities to reach this generation than ever before. I mean, folks, I grew up in a great church. I grew up in a great youth ministry. And I'll tell you something. My kids and the kids of this church have four times the opportunity 
that I had in a church and a youth ministry. And yet, we are bleeding this next generation. And there's absolutely nothing on the horizon that says that's going to get any better at all. Now, this is the point where you look to the pastor or the pastors and say, well, what are you guys going to do? Well, what are you going to do to, to help our kids, to reach our kids? Did you know that if you have your children, your youth, involved in everything that we do, now, I don't know that anybody has them involved. I mean, I, my kids miss events. But if your kid is involved in every single weekly event, every special event, every mission trip, every retreat, if you've got them involved in everything that we do, do you know how much time we have with your kid? 5%. Actually, less. Less than 5% of their year. <laughs> this is the point you say, well, what are we paying y'all for? Get some more events. Get, get that percentage up. What difference would it make? You see, 70% of you don't have them fully involved in what we are doing. And I'm not talking about missing an event here or there. I'm saying they're not fully engaged in what we are offering. What difference does it make if we add more events, if we add more things, if we're not fully involved in what's already there? You see, folks, the reality is spiritual formation, the pursuit of God, is way down at the bottom of the list. This is the reality. This is the fact. We come after. We come after the batting coach. We come after dance. We come after homework. After the part-time job. After travel soccer. We come after all of those things. Now, you know... A lot of us in here, we're believers, we're churchgoers, and, and it is important to us, it is a priority to us that our, our children get saved, that they become believers, that we have that security of heaven for their lives. But pretty much, once we know that that has been taken care of, or at least to our knowledge it's been taken care of, we really then focus the rest of our lives. We won't voice this. None of us is going to voice this, but it's how we practically live day in and day out. Every one of those things is more important to the building of their life, to the building of their well-being. If they're going to be a well-rounded, strong person in society and have their best opportunity, that's what I've got to get them in. That's what I've got to do. Now, folks, don't, please don't dismiss me as being up here on a soapbox against athletics and extracurricular activities in school. I've got four kids. We're involved in every bit of that stuff. Have been and are still involved in every bit of it. Don't think I'm up here that this message is about, you know, we need to build attendance. Y'all need to be at more stuff. Folks, it's not about being at more stuff. Use that against me. <laughs> I mean, I can't say it differently. It's not about you getting your kid to more stuff. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what do we want with this next generation? What do we want with these kids? And the truth of the matter is, if you boil parenting down, and I think it's been this way for about 40 years, this is parenting. My job is to get them educated. And in the process of getting them educated, I'm going to add some other events, athletics, dance, clubs, these different things that are a part of their well-rounded being and, and, and that I'm trying to create for them the best opportunity so they have the best high school resume, so they have the best college resume, so they can get a good job. That, that's my job, to get them educated so they have their best opportunity. And if that opportunity comes with a load of money, well that means I did a really good job. 
I mean, can you really say that we have a bigger idea of parenting than that? Because there's not a statistic in the world that would say any different. We have boiled parenting down to getting them educated. And folks, after doing this for about 30 or 40 years, we're seeing the, the, the results of it. And here again, is this is where I was going to stop and give you just a bunch of horrific statistics about what's happening in society, what's happening with youth, what's happening in the young 20s and 30s. But I'm, I'm not going to. They're statistics. As a matter of fact, a lot of us would say, well, that's, gosh, you know, that's always been that way. There's always been drinking and drugs and sex and, you know, some of us were involved in that. It all works out. It gets better. No, folks, it's not getting better anymore. It's, it's not working out anymore. It is getting worse and worse. I'm just not sure what anyone would point to in society and say, look, that's how good it's getting. So again, you look to the church, well, well what are you going to do? What are, what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what we are going to do. We're going to go right back to where God put it. We're going to go back to God's formula. Let's look at that this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Would you turn there with me to, to Deuteronomy chapter 6? If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the chairs uh, around you, in front of you. It's kind of underneath not right in front of you, maybe you can point to one, somebody will hand it to you, but want everybody to be able to, to look along. Deuteronomy, fifth book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 4. These verses I'm going to read are, I guess what you might call the center of the Old Testament. Now it's not center in the number of pages. But, but to the average Jew, not to the average, to the Jews, to the Jewish faith, these verses in the Old Testament would probably be somewhat like what Christians kind of look at John 3.16 as in the New Testament. It's kind of a banner verse. just kind of sets the theme and the tone of everything. And, and so these are like some of the biggest verses in the Old Testament that we're about to read. Let's see what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. There's God's formula. You say formula for what? <laughs> for everything. This is God's formula for everything. And do you notice what's at the center of it? The home. What's at the center of it? Passing something to the next generation. Parents, it is your job to teach your children to know and love God, and you do that by letting them watch you know and love God. It's a very simple formula, and it works. It's not the formula for raising perfect kids. It's not the, not the formula for getting the kids you want or a kid that never gets in trouble, but it is the formula that I believe that the, the church culture has abandoned. We're not doing this anymore and we're seeing the results of it all throughout the church and throughout the society. 
Now let's look at the passage a little bit closer. In this passage, we have a, a, an absolute truth. We have a starting point. And again, I say a starting point for what? A starting point for everything. A starting point for big questions like, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? A, a starting point for like, what should I do in life? Where did life come from? Where's life going? A starting point for questions like, should I get married? Why, did, why is there marriage? Why is there children? How do you raise children? Folks, any question you want to ask in life, this one truth is the starting point. It sends you down the course to find the answer. And what is the one absolute truth, the one starting point to every single question in your life? There is a God. There is one great almighty God. Now, that's not the starting point for every question. Yes, it is. If there's no God, how I answer all the questions of life goes in a completely different direction. And the truth of the matter is, if there's no God, pick an answer. You know, make one up. Because at that point, we're all really gods unto ourselves. We create our little life. We create our little world. But if there is a God, then all of a sudden, what that God has started and said and communicated about all of those things has to be then the beginning point of every question I'm asking in life. So this passage gives us one great absolute truth. There is a God. It gives us a response to that truth. I am to love Him with the entirety of my being. And it gives me a priority. Now I am to love that God. And I am to grow in that love for that God. In all of the areas of my life. But it says there's one priority. There's one place where this has to be happening. And that's in the home. It has to be transferred to the next generation. You see, the idea is that we learn to know and love God by watching our mom and dad know and love God. We're trained in life. Now, you know what, folks? As a, as a person, there's a lot of things I don't want to happen in 2010. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's events, there's circumstances I, I don't want to experience. But you know what? What if my kids experience those kinds of things when they grow up? I guess here's what I'm saying. Whatever 2010 brings... Don't run from it. Treat it as an opportunity to know and love God so that your kids can see how to know and love God in that kind of experience. Look at it this way. I, I, I want my kids to know what it looks like to know and love God after a good day. But isn't it just as important that they know how to know and love God after a bad day? Because they're going to have some, aren't they? My job is to train them. What do you do at the end of a bad day? How do you know and love God in, through, and at the end of a bad day? How do you know and love God in a great job? How do you know and love God in an awful job? H how do you know and love God when, when you've got lots of friends and family and everybody loves you and supports you? And how do you know and love God when you feel alone? How do you know and love God when you have enemies, when you have people attacking, people hurting? H how do you know and love God when... when Everything is working. Isn't it great when everything works all like three seconds of it? I mean, I want to show my kid how to know and love God when that happens. But they're probably going to go through times in life where nothing comes together. Nothing is working. Well, man, if I hit a stretch of 2010 where nothing is coming together, nothing is working, then I seize it as an opportunity to show my kid how to know, love, know and love God in that moment, just like over there when everything's working. You see, a kid is trained to know and love God, and that's parenting. 
It's not getting them educated. It's not teaching them how to throw something. It's teaching them how to know and love God because if they can do that, all the rest comes together. How do they know and love God in all of these different experiences? So let's get a review of this. What is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 giving us? It's giving us one great absolute truth that all of life is judged by, governed by, directed by. There is a God. And that has to direct everything I do from whether I forgive somebody to whether I love somebody to whether I go and do this to whether I don't go and do that to how I find faith and encouragement in all kinds. of There is a God. My response to that truth, love him with the entirety of my being. And the priority, not the only place, but the first place I want to live out that truth and that response in my home so that it passes to the next generation. Now, next week, we're going to start a family series. And you're saying, next week? Sounds like we just started a family series. No, actually, this is today is not the start of the family series. That, that's going to be next week. We'll be introducing today a ministry called Legacy Milestones. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But when I get to that family series next week, folks, you know, I think this is the um, third time I've done a family series in this church. And you know what? If you've been here seven years, I hope some of it sounds the same. I mean, it should. I mean, we're going to go to some of the same passages. We're going to look at some of the same issues. The truth hasn't changed. We need to review the truth a lot, but it hadn't changed. But I am going in a little bit different direction this time. I've got kind of a new twist in that I'm, I'm really looking at not how we have communication or money or sex or what's the role of a husband or the role of the wife. But at the end of all that, what's the product? What, what is the result of these different things or these different roles in a home? What is to be the result? You know, folks, if I put a target out there, I've got a lot better chance of hitting it. If there's no target of where I'm going or why I'm doing this, what's the chance we hit the target? Very little. And if we do hit the target, you know what that means? It was by accident. Man, I'm talking about the most important relationships in my life. My wife, my children. I don't want to do that by accident. I want to be very purposeful. I want to be very intentional about what happens in that. So I need to see what has God put as what is to be the product of these things. What's the target? What's the result of these things? And so that's going to be kind of the, the twist that we put on that. And clearly, folks, as we put this target out there, Deuteronomy 6, this concept of the truth of God and the transference of that truth in the home, that's a central part of what the home is to be all about. Then that means that's going to be the product of every single one of these things. And yet I wonder for how many of us, again, not out in the big bad world, but right here in God's house in the church, how many for us is Deuteronomy 6, the model we're living by? The center of our home. I fear way too few. Way too few. The statistics just don't bear up that this is where most of us are. Well, why is that? Well, one reason, our favorite reason, we're busy. Don't you get tired of saying we're busy? Now, now, I didn't just say what you think I just said. I didn't just say, are you tired of being busy? 
We're all tired of being busy. We all want to change to our schedule. We all like to get the schedule reduced down some. We'd all like a place for rest. But the fact is, whether we agree with that or not, want that or not, not a single person in this room is going to leave here with any intention of changing your schedule. We can talk about slowing down so we can invest in relationships. Slowing down so we can hear God. But folks, we don't. As a matter of fact, you want to know what we're training the next generation to do? We're training them to be busy. Here's how you build life. You have at least three events too much in every single week. You live about five minutes late to everything. You're constantly stressed and worried and in a hurry. That's what we've trained the next generation to do. And that's how we're living every day of our lives. And they pick it right up. The thing they're doing differently from us, they're saying, you know, in all this harriedness, God is just really a game. Who needs that? I'm too tired. I'm too stressed. I'll stay home and sleep this morning. And they never come back. We've trained them to be busy. What we've trained them to do is to be busy failing. To letting one significant issue, one significant relationship after another go unmet because we're busy. Another reason we're not putting this Deuteronomy 6 model out in front of our homes is because, uh, you know, that's the church's job. That's the professional's job. You know what American parenting is? It's outsourcing. Think about it. As a parent, I I outsource. I've got somewhere to send my kids to learn how to throw a baseball and to learn how to dance. And I've got somewhere to send my kids to, to be educated. And I've got somewhere. And if they're not doing good at any of these things, I've got more people that will tutor them or coach them or help them. And I just send my kids to all these different places because all these different places are going to make my kids important. All these different places are going to make my kids successful. And so I farm them out to all these things and I pay as I as my, I'm a parent. That's my job. Pay as I go so they can be good at something when they grow up. And we approach church with the exact same mentality. You know, God, I think, is important. I've got to get him in their lives. And and so I I bring him up here and I farm him out to the church. And it's the church's job. But I look back at Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6 didn't say it was the temple's job or the church's job. It said it's the home's job. The church comes along as a partner. The church comes along as support and aid and encouragement and and, and resources, but it's not the church's job. Do you see in Deuteronomy 6, there's both evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism is bringing people to God. Discipleship is growing them up in God. I mean, these are the two big words that guide the church, evangelism and discipleship. And yet God's got evangelism and discipleship in the home. It is the home that is to be doing this. Third reason... I think maybe the biggest one is we just don't know how. I mean, I know where to take them or how to teach them to throw a baseball or help them with algebra. But when my kid's hurting, when he's scared or when he's excited and happy, do I know how to teach him to pray through that? How to talk with God and work with God through that? Do I know how to teach him to take him to God's word and to see what God's answers are, what God's direction, what God's perspective is? Do I know how to train them to use God's book as the primary directive in their life? You just don't know. Well, folks, Legacy Milestone Ministry, ministry that we're beginning in this church, has as its purpose that you know. That you know how to do these things. 
that you know how to move your child along, not just in general, but at various stages of life. As a matter of fact, we, we've kind of got the, 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 the life of a child broken up into seven milestones or seven stages. Look at these here. Some of these are directly related to an event in church. You got the birth of a baby. We celebrate that with a baby dedication, right? You know what? We're no longer going to do baby dedications in this church the way you've seen in the past. It's going to look completely different. Now you're going to have to, and I'm going to explain in a second, now if you want to get a baby dedicated, you're going to have to come to a parent summit. Because when we stand up here, we say the church and this family are partnering together, but you know what, that's mostly just words. Let's really take a step to make that a concrete deal that we all know exactly what we're talking about when we say we're partnering together. And, And so we'll have a parent summit two Saturdays a year, probably one or two Wednesdays a year, We'll come in here and, and there'll be a, a general teaching time and a general session. Then we'll break up into seminars and you'll go to whichever one of these milestones your child or children are in at that moment. You'll go to these and learn, okay, I'm a parent. I've got a kid at number two. How do I get him to number three? Well, that's what that seminar is going to be about. Here's the important things that should be, you should be transferring, teaching, communicating. Here's the, the things you should be encouraging at this stage to help move a kid from number two to number three. Or I've got a kid at number five. How do I get him to number six? And, and, and so this seminar will help, these seminars will help do this. Along with these seminars, there'll be things on like how to have a family devotional. Uh, how do you, how as a family do you leave church and what do you do with what you heard all that morning? We're going to be giving very specific tools and training on what to do in these things. Life in Christ is for everybody. I keep using the word family and parent summit, but whether you're a family or a parent, life in Christ is for everybody. What should be happening at a life in Christ individually so that I can transfer it to somebody else? Whether it's a person my size or a little one that I'm holding hands like this with. And so this is for for everybody. Now, as I say this, as we go through this and you keep hearing that word parent. There are several groups of people in the room right now. Now, now one group of people that that looks at this and hears this is the young couples with a baby on the way or they just had a baby. And they're hearing all this and saying, man, this is awesome. Where do we sign up? This is cool. But that's probably our smallest group of people. Another group of people would be, well, there's singles. Singles who kind of roll their eyes and think, oh great, the church is going into another family thing. And that kind of makes them feel left out because they're a family of one. So they can, oh God, I've got to endure this. When's this over? You know, to the single, I want to tell you something that I hear is one of the most, most often repeated things is, boy, I wish I would have known that X number of years ago. Well, singles, this is your chance to never have to utter that statement. It, it kind of goes back to getting that clear picture, that target of where you're going in life and what you want to build in life. And the more clear that target is, then it becomes clear what pieces you add on the journey. Because you see, right now, all it takes to find a mate is somebody that you have a physical attraction to. And if you like the same movies and the same restaurants and you laugh at each other, you got those four things, you're covered, you're good to go. Let's get married. Unfortunately, those four things have nothing at all to do with balancing a checkbook together or having the same philosophy on raising children together, the same philosophy on doing anything together. Folks, the more clear the picture of what you want and where you're going and how you want to build it, it then starts to develop the guides for what we put around us and how we build our own life. Uh, Another group of people is the empty nesters. And they're the ones going, oh, that's great, super program. I wish I would have had something like that. 
27 years ago. Empty nesters, this is very, very, very much for you. Because, you know, the only thing that changed, you're still a mom and a dad, right? You're still a parent. I guarantee you're probably still forking out money somewhere. Okay? I know I'm bleeding my dad every time I get a chance. Okay? So you're still a parent. What changes as an empty nester is not you being a parent. What changes is the amount of time you have to influence. You see, if I've got a hundred opportunities to influence you, I can, you know, I can be kind of roundabout. Hopefully I'm going to get there. If I've got one opportunity to influence you, man, I've got to make it count, don't I? See, being an empty nester means you're still in the parenting game. It just means now you've got to be better and smarter than ever before because your opportunity to influence and make a difference there is very short and very few in number. And, and, and you want to still have the opportunity to be a faith influencer in, the, in that adult child's life. They may have children that may or may not have a faith influencer in their life. Grandparent, you may be that one. So how much more do you still need to know these principles, these ideas, and what God has built in the home? Because when you have that opportunity to influence, it's got to count. Now maybe the biggest group in the room, and I would fall in this group, is I'm not at the beginning of the game, and I'm not at the end of the game. I'm kind of down there in the latter half. I've got three still in the process. I've got one that's left the home. I'm trying to, you know, where in this... Where is this man? It seems like I'm awfully late to be trying to start something like this. And for some of us, it's not just a matter of going, man, I'm pretty late in the game. Some of us right now feel like we're, we're losing at the game. As a matter of fact, to look at all these kinds of principles, to talk about this, it, it really it kind of brings a load of guilt, doesn't it? We feel guilty. We feel bad. We generally don't like feeling guilty. We don't like feeling bad. Let me tell you something, folks. God's word for you today is not guilt. It's grace. It's grace. You know, when, tr- when, we, when we interact with truth, when God brings truth into our life, sometimes that's not comfortable. Sometimes it doesn't feel good, it doesn't look good, but it's necessary. You know, I think of truth, as a matter of fact, I think James does this in the New Testament. Truth is a little bit like a mirror. You know, when I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror, that's not very encouraging either, is it? You know, you got the bedhead thing going. You can almost see your breath in the mirror. I mean, it's just, you look in the mirror and that's not encouraging. But what does the mirror help you do? Start to fix up and straighten up and get it as good as we can. See, I need the mirror to know. Folks, that's what truth is. Sometimes looking at the truth, I go, oh my gosh, look at where I missed. Look what I did. Look what I didn't do. And it's just like one mistake, one failure after another. But that's not why God's delivering truth to you. God's not delivering truth to beat you up, to show you how bad you've messed up, to show you what a failure you are. But He does have to show the truth because the change does need to take place. And God's Word's not guilt, it's grace. You know what grace says? Grace says you may already be late in the game. Grace says you may be losing the game. But grace says let's start today. Isn't that what the grace of God gives us the opportunity to do? Today, through faith, through repentance, through beginning to seek and to walk in God's truth, grace gives me a chance to start today. Whatever happened yesterday, whatever happened all the days before that, grace says I can start today. What if I take a step into God's truth today? Grace says, come on, let's take that step. Let's take that step. Folks, our society 
desperately needs this. We have a society out there that has an answer to nothing. They're walking around without any kind of bearing, without any kind of rudder, without any kind of direction. And more and more, every single area of their life is failing. Every single area of their life is hurting. And you know what the home is supposed to be? It's supposed to be a place of refuge. The home is where I go home and I get restored and I get rested and I get refreshed and encouraged. The home is where I go and reload so I can go back out into that world. But but that's not what our homes are. That's not not what's happening in our homes. And it's leaving us empty and drained and hurting and suffering. In most any statistic, most anything you want to measure right now in the human experience is absolutely bearing out that we have missed the great place of refuge God's given us in the home. You know, we, when I, we use this word legacy milestones. Didn't use the word stages, but milestones. There's that word stone. You know, I want my home to be a stone. But now there's different kinds of stones, aren't there? I mean, look at this picture right here. Now, that's a stone, but that's what we call pebbles, right? And along life's journey, when you're walking, when you're running, when you're hiking through life, and you're going over those pebbles, you know what? If they're big enough, you can actually land on them wrong and twist your ankle. If they're small enough, they can get inside your shoe, and they're, they're an annoyance, and they rub blisters, and they hurt. And there's just not a lot good about pebbles along the journey of life. Not a lot good. You know what, folks? I don't want my home to be a pebble. I don't want my home to be something that somewhere along the journey the kids have to pull off to the side, take off their shoes and shake the home out because it's such an annoyance, such an irritant. It's rubbed such a hurt, such a sore into their lives. I don't want them to have to get rid of the home so they can get up and go on again. Now, I want my home, again, a stone, but a very different stone. I want my home to be like, like this. That, that's, a, that's a rock right there, folks. We call that bare rock. That's in the front yard of my parents house and uh, that rock almost covers my parents house doesn't it 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 takes about 10 minutes to climb that thing that's bare rock that's what i want my home to be like i want my home to be something you anchor to something you build on isn't that what we want of our homes not something we have to get rid of not something that's an annoyance but something we build lives on something we anchor lives to something we're strengthened by encouraged by something we hold on to as a place of refuge and protection that's god's design that's god's plan you know what's funny folks not everybody in the world wants god everybody on this planet wants a good home What an opportunity the church has. Not only to bless ourselves and our children, but if we live by God's model in the home, to be a light to the world of the difference that God makes. But gosh, the opposite is also true. What a testimony we are to the world of the difference God doesn't make when they look at our lives and our home. Of course, the problem is not God. The problem is we're not walking with his model. We're not living with his model. Will will 2010 be a year you take a big step forward with your family? Your family may be great, may be awful. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. Can 2010 be a year we take a step forward? Man, I don't know what all God's plan is. I don't know what all that's going to mean to me or require of me. 
But I trust God. I trust His plan. The home's His idea. I'm going to start trying to move close to what His design is. What if? What kind of difference would it make in our own personal lives? What kind of difference could it make in our children? What kind of difference could it make in our society? Everybody, everybody wants the home. Let's pray. God, we give you our home. Its problems, its failures, its successes. We give you the relationships that are strong and doing pretty well. We give you the relationships that are weak and not doing so good right now. We give you our home. And God, in this moment right here, we want to we commit ourselves afresh to your plan, your model, your way of doing the home. That might require some things I'm not used to, some things I'm not comfortable with. But God, I pray we would want more for ourselves. We'd want more for our children than just what we're comfortable with in this moment. I'd pray we'd want more for our small children, we'd want more for our adult children than just what I feel confident doing. God, we want our homes to be what you designed them to be. We want our homes to be a place of refreshment and refuge and rest. God, maybe even in that, perhaps our homes would become a light that would shine and point people to Jesus Christ and the difference that he can make. God, as a church, we don't want to lose the next generation. Let the salvation of that generation begin in our home. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen.